Okay, let's just pray. Father, we just want to thank you for this time. Lord, that we can come meet around your word, Father. God, that we uh, uh, so close to you, Father, to your return. That, uh, Lord, we need to be uh, equipped with everything that you've got for us, Lord, and through mm -hmm. your word. Lord, in the name of Jesus, through your um, yeah. attributes and through the Holy Spirit, Lord. Mm -hmm. Father, yeah. you the word to us today. Father, we pray, God, that uh, you'll anoint it to our hearts and our minds and our lives, Lord. Bit. Give us understanding and give us wisdom. Yes. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I want to talk about um, uh, the divine flow and a divine flow that comes through a number of things, but it come, uh, one is the breaking of the bread. Um, and if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. You don't have to, but I'll, I can read it, but you can write the scriptures down. Second Kings chapter 4 and verse 36 to 44. And it says this, and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. And so he called her. And when she came in to him, he said, pick up your son. And so she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. And then she picked up her son and went out. And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. And so one, so one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew. And though they did not know what they were, and then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pot. Mm. And they could not eat it. And so he said, Then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Then a man came from uh, Baal, Shilisha, and bought the man the man of God, bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? He said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. And so he set it before them and they ate and they had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah. And uh, the next scripture is um, chapter 7, verse 1 to 2. I'll quickly read that. It's, Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seal of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And so a, an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Hallelujah. And so, brothers and sisters, God, through the excellency of his wisdom, has made spiritual resources available that if his people can tap into it by faith, they can be sustained and even thrive in times of extreme famine. You know, we hear of, uh, because of this pandemic, we hear of people losing their jobs and, and uh, people who are anti 
uh, are against the vaccine and all that kind of stuff, and and they've been given the ultimatum: either take the vaccine or lose your job. And so, and and a lot of people have, you know, I believe that we're in the day of the the um, uh, the strong delusion, yeah. the, the delusion that God's um, you know sent up on the face of the earth. And some people are getting it, and some people are not. And uh, you know, and um, I believe it's the faith that in God that God in God that He will sustain us right through uh, if we continue to put our faith and trust and confidence in Him. And so, the incredible miracles that we see in Elijah, uh, see Elijah performing in Second Kings chapter four, verse um, to seven, um, happened in a period of time akin to a uh, pandemic, a famine, with physical and economic resources were scarce. And uh, it's just like in the days of the Depression, food was scarce. And still through communion and the breaking of bread, the prophet was able to access the economy of God to feed people across four levels. And the first level that that he... is the uh, immediate disciples or the sons of the prophets. And the second one is the immediate community. The third one is the enemies of Israel and ultimately the entire nation. Hallelujah. And so this was a demonstration of divine flow that counteracts the spirit of poverty, even in the worst of economic times. And... um, there was a demonstration of, the flow, of divine flow that counteracts the spirit of poverty, even in the worst of economic times. But as we will discover, there is a posture that we must maintain in God to ensure that this flow is not disrupted. And so the first story in which we encounter people being fed from Elisha's ministry is detailed in 2 Kings chapter 4, after the resurrection of the Shunammite woman's son. And so the prophet had commanded his servant to boil the stew for the sons of the prophets before one of them went out to gather some wild gourds, or however you say, gourds, gourds. Um, and gourds was a vegetable in the form of a melon or a cucumber or a squash. And, uh, and it was from a wild vine, which he then added to the stew. And so this addition to the stew contaminated the meal as we read that the sons of prophets could not eat it and cried out to the man of God, there is death in the pot. And so, friends, there's an important question to be asked here, which is why did the sons of of the prophet end up with death in a meal that was being cooked under the direction of the prophet? Mm. But, friends, you know, indeed, when God feeds us, it's supposed to minister life, not death. But there is a detrimental attitude that we can have that can introduce corruption even at the place of communion with God. And so the first problem that the sons of the prophets had is that they were sitting on chairs at the Lord's table rather than on stools. And it was the wrong posture. So sitting on chairs meant that they were in an elevated place that was contrary to the place of humility and a teachable spirit that the stool represents. Are you getting what I'm saying this morning? Yeah. And so it was from this opinionated position that one of them went out to gather gourds 
from a wild vine that eventually introduced death to the pot. And you might be asking, well, why, why the wild vine? Well, Jesus said he alone is the true vine and is going, is go, so going to a wild vine was representative of consulting a source of knowledge and life that is alien and outside of him. Mm. Hallelujah. And so when, when we come, just come to the Lord's table, we must be careful of adding wild ideas or the ways of the world to the mix. And so what that does, it will corrupt the feeding process and disrupt, and disrupt the divine flow. And so we must sit on stools and not on chairs. And so we see that the way for the prophet to correct the situation was for flour to be added to the pot, which is representative of the authentic word of God. Hallelujah, the authentic word of God. And so if corruption and death is at work in any aspect of your life, there is a prophetic word that you can get from God that will begin the process of revitalization and renewal. Can you say amen? And so the second, the second miracle of feeding that we encounter was the feeding of 100 men with the first fruits of just 20 loaves of barley. And so here we see the same principle of multiplication that Jesus later took further in the New Testament by feeding the 5,000 with two fishes and five loaves. And so to tap into the divine flow, we must learn not to limit God regardless of what may seem like the scarcity of the resources in the natural. Hallelujah. And so at times, all that is required for the feeding of a community is just a what? A seed. Can you say amen? A seed. And so being conscious of God's principle of multiplication, it's possible to see business expansion even in the midst of a pandemic. Hallelujah. And so we notice that in that time of famine, Elisha expanded beyond just feeding friends and family to even feeding his enemies. Hallelujah. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wonderful? Even feeding your enemies. Praise the Lord. You see, God has, has the resources, not, to, not just to look after his own in difficult times, but to empower as many as would believe to become a form of redemption even to their enemies. What a mighty God we serve. Hallelujah. And so in chapter 7, Elisha was ultimately able to speak or able to break the bread of God to the entire nation as he famously declared. Hallelujah. Tomorrow about this time a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And so the, the, divine, the divine flow extends to a level where we are able to feed nations. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And so through it, Joseph was able to feed Egypt, and that provision is still available today. Amen? Praise God. And so the story of the Shunammite woman's encounter with Elisha detailed in Second Kings verse 4 is, is one of the most remarkable testimonies to come out of the great prophet's ministry. And the Shunammite woman was a woman of influence and affluence who seemed to lack nothing 
except that which only God could provide, a child of her own. However, through recognising the holy man of God, Elisha, and providing a notable service to him, she eventually had that need met. Amen. And so, indeed, much has been made about the Shunammite woman. You know, just, you know, you go to the northern rivers and, and, and uh, amongst the, the Christians there, they either talk about the Shunammite woman or, the, or uh, some other, um, I can't remember what it is ever. But anyway, you hear them talking about the Shunammite woman all the time. And so, recognizing the holy man of God, Elisha, and providing a notable service to him, she eventually had that need met. And so much has been made about, about the Shunammite woman providing a room for the prophet to stay in. But through the revelation of the Spirit of God, we discover that even the contents of the room themselves were significant and had prophetic meaning. So in the room, she placed a bed, a table, a stool, and a lampstand. And although she lived in the Old Testament, through these four items, the woman was able to typify the walk of the New Testament believer. And so the bed was for the rest of God and the table was for communion and the stool for a teachable spirit and the lampstand to represent the believer's responsibility to be the light of the world. Hallelujah. And so when you meditate upon this story, you realise that the actions of the Shunammite woman were inspired by an uncommon level of insight into the ways of God. And Shunem was a land that Joshua had allocated to the tribe of Issachar. So this particular woman belonged to the children of Issachar, who according to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, had understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. And so the items that she furnished the room she gave to Elisha with one, with, were inspired by the wisdom of God. And everything that eventually happened to, for, with, and by this woman was directly traceable to these four things. And so beyond her life, her own life, the bed, the table, and the stool, and the lampstand have symbolism that, in, that in, reach into the New Testament and have implications, implement, implications on how we ought to approach our walk, walk of faith as believers. And let's just consider them, each of them in, in terms. Firstly, the bed was the symbolic rest of God. And the name Elisha means the Lord is my salvation. So in meeting the man of God, the woman realized that she had encountered the representative of the salvation of God. And although she was wealthy, she realized that she had encountered the God who could deliver her from her misery and lack that her wealth connections and every advantage in the flesh could not. And so she could rest in God. It is so important for us as believers to adopt the posture of rest in God because God will never fulfill all our heart's desires at once. And so we must rest in him knowing that God will entrust us with what others need and at the same time give what we don't have to someone else so that we are aware of our independence on one another. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And so whether you are trusting God for the fruit of the womb or you have lost your job, whatever the situ situation may be, you must fight to make rest in God your default posture in him. 
Hallelujah. Whatever the situation may be, you must fight to make rest in God your default posture in him. And so your unshakable belief must be that before God gives you anything else, Jesus himself is more than enough. Can you say amen? He's more than enough. Hallelujah. He's all that I need. Hallelujah. That should be our attitude, our attitude for gratitude. Amen. He's all that I need. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so your unshakable belief must be that before God gives you anything else, Jesus is more than enough. And so we have to fight to enter into rest knowing that there is an assurance in God that when you take care of his business, he is surely faithful enough to take care of yours. Can you say amen? He's a faithful God. He's a mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's a faithful God to us. Amen. And he loves his people. He loves us. Hallelujah. And so the second thing is the table, which was symbolic of communion. And after the rest of God, we come to the Lord's table, communion. And it's important that communion be first with God before it is with people. Amen. It's important that we commune with God before we commune with people. Hallelujah. Commune with God first. And if you rush to share with people before first drinking from the Lord, the result will be offense and frustration because you will surely meet disappointments along the way. Hallelujah. And so it's, in, it's, communion, it's communion of God that provides us with a perspective that makes forgiveness and long-suffering possible. And a lot of us have suffered a long time. Hallelujah. But God is still on the throne. Amen. He still takes care of us. Continue to, I say, I sometimes pray like this, Lord, even if you don't, if, if, if I don't get this, Lord, or don't get this healing, Lord, I'll still serve you. I'll still praise you. I'll still worship you. My heart and my soul will still be on you, oh God. Hallelujah. And so brokenness, brokenness is learnt at the table of communion because it's only what is broken that can be shared with others. Amen. It's only what is broken that can be shared with others. And the Lord's table beckons us to be broken so that our lives can be shared as a blessing to others. And the third thing is the stool, which is symbolic of God's teaching and the humil humility that secures it. And so the most dangerous thing in life is to live your life according to the teachings of men. Authentic teachings come from God while men are merely the instruments used to convey the teaching. Hallelujah. And so the stool symbolized teaching because according to the Hebrew mindset, teaching is given in the posture of sitting and reclining. Isn't that marvelous? Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? And so on our end as disciples of God, it symbolizes the humility that is required to receive the teaching of God. And humility and a teachable spirit are requirements for admission in the university of God. And so we can learn this from Paul. Hallelujah. Although he had reached the pinnacles of intellectual, religious and societal nature or societal stature, he laid all aside for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. And, you know, you go back to that scripture where he says, uh, Lord, may I decrease and you increase in my life. You know, it's important that, that uh, all self is put out of the way and we just take on the new nature of Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Our Lord and Savior. Amen. Hallelujah. And so he laid it all aside for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't it wonderful that we know a risen Savior, one that's taken us from the pits of hell that will take us to, to our glory. Amen. That leads us to glory. And so this is what our world is in need of. Believers who have embraced the responsibility that Christ gave us to be the light of the world. I'll say that again. This is what our world is in need of. Believers who have embraced the responsibility that Christ gave us to be the light of the world. Hallelujah. And so uh, the, then we come to the lampstand. And so the lampstand stand symbolizes our ability to let the light of God, which shines out of us and his life, which uses out of us to be our testimony before the world. You know, I say often say that, you know, we could be the only Bible that people read and people read us by our actions and our deeds. Hallelujah. And so when all is said and done, the Shunammite woman had testimonies that could attest to the fact that of a truth that she had encountered the miracle working God of Israel. Hallelujah. And by the revelation of the lampstand, we understand that we overcome the enemy not only by the blood of the lamb, but by what else? The testimony of our witness. Hallelujah. And so the progression of these items is significant. And our ult ultimately our goal is to let our light shine before the world until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. Hallelujah. But the lampstand must be preceded by our taking rest in him and communing with him and be taught, being taught by him so that we can operate according to his ways and with the right spirit. Hallelujah. So may your Christian experience be furnished with the bed, table, tool, and the lampstand, the stool and the lampstand, sorry. Amen. God bless you.